It's the Healthcare Solutions Project, the podcast where we dig into ideas and innovations that will help improve cost, quality, and health outcomes and make the healthcare experience better for everyone. I'm Don Siemens, and I'm the host of this podcast. We are all here because we care about healthcare and because today's innovations will be tomorrow's solutions. So thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, I'm going to ask you to do all the things. Subscribe, share, write a five-star review, all that. That will help us get the word out to more people who want to understand today's solutions for better healthcare. Today, I'm really happy to have as my guest another innovator, Carm Huntress. Carm, welcome to the Healthcare Solutions Project. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here today. Carm is the founder and CEO of Credo Health, a digital records retrieval company. He is an entrepreneur and a strategic leader with over 20 years of experience in startups focused around consumer and enterprise technology. He first ventured into healthcare in 2013 when he founded RX Review. While he continues to be a strategic advisor for the company, he's been working as the CEO of Credo Health since the beginning of 2022. So, Carm, I guess we should just start off by talking about uh, your company that you're at right now, um, what your role is there, what you hope to accomplish. Yeah, sure. So, you know, uh, again, I'm the, the CEO and founder of Credo, and we're really focused on automating medical record retrieval. Um, and this is a big problem in the United States. It, believe it or not, we still fax about 9 billion um, faxes per year in the U.S. Um, it costs us about $126 billion to manage all those faxes and paper. Um, there's still a lot of uh, practices that are in paper today. And uh, we've invested a lot to create electronic health records and and spent billions of dollars, the government dollars doing that. But we're now in a decade that's really about digitalization, digitalization and interoperability. And I think we're at a tipping point. And so we're really trying to help um, providers and payers and patients in digitalizing um, and automating the process of getting records together, especially for those doing value-based care. And we can talk about why value is better than, is, is the right place to do this opposed to doing fee-for-service. But that's really the mission of Credo is, is we're really trying to enable patients to live their healthiest life through having their full, complete medical record. So you've had lots of experience in other industries. You've been successful uh, in, the, in the pharma industry as well. Why is this a specific problem, the problem that you want to solve right now? Yeah, I, you know, every, startups are so funny because they're they're really a story about timing and, and success. And I think we're in a decade now, this decade for 2020 to 2030, um, where this is going to happen. And it's going to happen for a couple really important reasons. I mean, the first thing is that we are seeing, I think this is the decade where we're going to see value. You know, that we're going to move from a traditional fee-for-service infrastructure in the U.S. to a value-based model, Medicare Advantage being the largest of that, you know, about a third of, of insured individuals will be um, in that in, in that bucket in by 2030. And, you know, overall, 51% of care will be delivered in value-based models. So we'll have that tipping point event, you know, in the next, in this decade. And so, you know, that's one of the big, big drivers here. And, and um, the second thing is that we've had, you know, finally, finally we're sort of to 80% penetration of electronic health records, even though we still have 20, 20%-ish to go. Um, we've got a tipping point event there. And then there's been a lot of work on interoperability 
um, in two flavors. One is in the standards world, which is which now we have a, a, a dedicated standard called FIRE, Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resource, which allows you to structure and say, this is the different parts and components of a medical record. And that's a structured schema that really enables, hey, I can move data from point A to point B and I still understand it and it's it's normalized, right? And then the last piece is, is regulation. We have had a lot of really good regulation coming out of the 21st Century Cures Act, which is now about two years old, that says, hey, we want a way uh, from a national perspective to connect all our data together and make it easy for, for providers, for payers, and especially patients to be able to digitally access and have a complete medical record. And one of the most important pieces of legislation that's come together is, is the information blocking rule which basically it says no 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 healthcare provider can block you from gaining access to your healthcare information and they if you ask for it they have to give it to you and they need to give it to you in a machine readable format and and those pieces all put together really pointed me to this thing of wow this is going to happen and it's going to happen in the next decade um or or a lot of this is going to happen we're not going to get to 100% i don't know if ever um but it's going to happen but the question is, how do we go from, you know, payers today and providers when we go into clinics and they're sitting there, a new patient comes in and they get their HIPAA release form and they go over to the fax machine and they fax that over to their old, you know, primary care doc. And then there's this stack on the other end of that where the primary care doc is shifting through stacks of faxes to get that patient record together, printed out 30, 50 pages of clinical data, put that back on the fax machine and get it over to the doc. How do we move from that workflow today? And then I should finish that. It comes back, right? And then we have to import it as a PDF into that patient chart, right? Like that's interoperability today. How do we move from that world to a world where that's fully digital? That's a very different experience. That's a different last mile that we're all going to be dealing with. And how does that come to be? And Credo's really helping those providers, especially those doing value-based care that care deeply about that clinical history and background of patients, we're focused on how do we help them do that transition um, and do it in a way that that fits with their clinical model, fits with the patient experience, and most importantly, supports the provider in making the best decisions for patients. Mm. You know, there, there are a couple of things going through my head right now. It sounds like standardization is is there we've got the standard that that is that needs to be in place we've got the regulations sort of forcing the hand of the industry and i guess that's really where i'm kind of i'm kind of stuck having been in the healthcare industry for so long and hearing about interoperability for so long and people you know wanting to have this capability for decades why did it take regulation to do it? Why do you, why do you, I, I don't know if that's a question that, that you feel like you can answer, but I do. I do. Go ahead. I do. Yeah, tell me that. So, so, so I, I'd say a, a couple things. Um, we, we've got an economic model today that is set up to perversely incentivize doctors not to, and, and healthcare providers and health systems, uh, to share data and, whether we like it or not. And and the underlying system in the US, right, is fee for service, right? Where mm -hmm. I go in, I get tests, I have an exam, the doctor bills for those and gets paid. Right. Now, uh, 
we we if I'm in fee for service, I have a a very big incentive to keep as much clinical history away from my exams and away from your appointment as possible mm. because I get to redo everything and start over and rebuild you and make more money. Right. So there's there's no direct incentive to have that data to a point where three of every 10 tests are duplicated in the US just because they don't have the clinical record. So a third of care today could disappear if we just had a full interoperable system. But if I walk into a big fee-for-service health system and I say, I'm going to take away a third of your revenue because I'm going to eliminate a third of what you can bill for because now you have the charts, I would be marched out the door probably with armed guards Hmm. um, and told never to come back. Hmm. And that is why we've had a system that you know, we, we've been in, I've been in clinical situations and talked with doctors where, you know, there's, they own two hospitals and they have, let's, let's do an emergency example where someone's in an accident and they're at the, the hospital that that another hospital that is owned by, by, you know, the entire IDN or the, the system, they get an MRI there, right? They do the MRI and they say, oh, we got to get you over to the main hospital because we've got a, you know, world-class emergency department and 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 do critical care so they put the patient in the ambulance they drive them over it is better for them and they're like wait where's the mri it is better for them to redo that mri than to go and pull it right because it's another mm-hmm. bill it's a huge billing event it's another twelve hundred dollars right and and so we ha- don't have a system of mechanism and an incentive model that really wants to drive towards interoperability and connectivity now when I switch over to value-based care, right? Hmm. Let's think about Medicare Advantage, right? Where I'm sitting there and say, I'm I'm now measured, you know, I might be getting a fixed cost per month per patient. I'm going to get measured on quality, right? Did did the patient get different procedures? Have I taken their A1C? Did they get a colonoscopy? You know, all these different things. And so having that rich clinical history is incredibly important. If I'm in Medicare Advantage and I'm doing risk adjustment, I need to know what all are the the conditions the patient has, which affects the premium, how much Medicare will reimburse you. Um, it's it's really important I have that clinical history. I need to know the cardiologist, the endocrinologist. I need all that data, uh, and then I to to close, you know, to do quality measures to appropriately treat the patient. And if you're in full capitated risk, you're you got to have all that data, hmm. right? Because then then you don't even know if you're focusing on the right things. I, I was yeah. with a doc and who's in value-based care. And he said, he's seen a patient three times. This is a story two weeks ago. He said, I saw this patient three, you know, three times this year. And, you know, this is Medicare. It's 65 or older. Mm-hmm. You know, they come in, they do their primary care visit on this third visit. And, and this is a full, full capitated risk. He said, the patient came in and said, Oh, I forgot to tell you I have cancer. Oh my gosh. And he was just like, what? You have cancer. Like, why didn't you, you've, you've, I've seen you three years, three times this year. Why didn't, well, we, we weren't focused on that. Oh and, and it's like, that's the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it just didn't come up, you know, they were in for their other, other conditions uh, from a PCP perspective. So, you know, and if he had the rich clinical data, if he had the data from the oncologist that he'd open up the chart and go, oh my gosh, you have, you know, uh, cancer. Mm. And so, you know, this is, this is the transition that's really happening and the incentive to move to a, you know, to having that full complete model. So that's the number one thing, you know, back to your question, why has this not happened? Uh, I, it, there is a very big 
perverse incentive today because of fee-for-service. And I think this is the decade it's going to change. I hope so. It, it, and it sounds like uh, you're, you're betting on it. You've got a good bet going on this. So <laughs> let's, let's, let's well, hope for your sake and for all of our sakes, I think. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think that um, this is a really important mission to be on. You know, when I talk to my team about can you and and what's what's amazing to me is everybody on my team has a story. I think we all have a story of trying to get a medical record, um, trying to uh, get a an image, you know, to to a specialist for an upcoming appointment, and whether themselves or their loved ones that are they're they're you know especially with elderly parents, um, for a lot of people who are trying to get that medical record data moved around, and you know they're uh, we've heard stories of you know getting CDs like you know, who, they get handed a CD and right. I say, I, you know, what do I do with this CD? This is crazy. Or, you know, you know, big stacks of paper um, or like, like USB drives, you know, it's just bizarre where, you know, why can't we have a system where, you know, the doctor can just say, Hey, I've got an upcoming appointment. I'm going to ping, you know, this hospital and pull the date over. That is really what's exciting is that's starting to happen. We're starting to see that level of interoperability and access and the regulation pushing that in there. We can talk about things like TEFCA and the new regulation that's really trying to build a national interoperability network where I can ping a single patient and get all their data. Why don't we talk about that? Yeah, let's, yeah, let's talk sure, about sure. TEFCA a little bit. How, how is that going to ease your way and ease the way of, of uh, you know patients and doctors? Yeah, so there's two big parts out of the 21st Century Cures Act that are probably the neatest parts in terms of interoperability and data. And the first one is we'll talk about is TEFCA, um, uh, which is the test trusted exchange framework and common agreement. Uh, what a fun acronym. <laughs> typical, typical government, yeah, right? For real. Which for essentially real. says just pay, a cl- t- pay attention to the, the last two common agreement, which basically says we now have a common agreement for how and in what ways we can share data. And so organizations can sign up to be part of that, g- become compliant within that, and then share data openly for different types of use cases. So there's three today, and there's really one that's only available today. There's one for treatment. So it's a provider to a provider saying, hey, I need this record because I have to treat this patient. Two is for payment and operations where your insurance company says, hey, for billing purposes or for other purposes, I need your your clinical data to better manage you on, on our health plan. And then the third case is the individual one where I'm an individual and I want to ping the national networks and say, give me all my data back. Mm. Um, what's so exciting is we have the two big networks. Well, there's three um, really c- the networks that are doing this, Care Quality, Commonwealth, and the eHealth Exchange that are starting to piece together and connect HIEs and EHRs together in a national network. Hmm. And thousands and thousands. I mean, we have a long, long way to go. We're, we're in the, I'd say, early phases of this, but they're starting to connect together and they have now a common agreement and methodology to exchange data. So we're part of those networks today. We pull data on, on behalf of our provider clients to get that data because treatment's kind of the big use case today that's being accepted. It's still voluntary, but we, we, I do really firmly believe the government's going to say, Hey, this is voluntary for the next year or two, but it will, if you want to participate in uh, government programs, you're mm-hmm. just like meaningful use, you're going to have to be interoperable and be part of these networks. And that's what's really exciting. Um, and, and we've seen some really big tetonic movements, even Epic, you know, that has said, we're going to be part of TEFCA and we're going to mm-hmm. provide data, uh, nationally. So that's going to take a long time because Epic does single instances, right? And they've got 
a few hundred you know hospitals to do that with but we're getting there in terms of this this transition and tefka enabling uh that the the second one just to talk about briefly which is more patient related and maybe your listeners would be more interested in this is there there is a mandate as well for EHRs to have a patient facing API which an API just means I can exchange my medical record data where I can log in and pull my data um, directly through the EHR, um, or I can uh, have an app that can log in and pull my data for certain use. And so it, the most well-known one in the U.S. that that's sort of an app is MyChart, which is Epic's um, uh, you know, a, a patient-facing application. Mm-hmm. So you can log in and get your record. It's mu- used a lot today for appointments and, and provider communication. But we're seeing that as well, where there's a lot of utilization. I think COVID kind of drove that where, hey, I need to log in, talk to my provider. And, and we, or at least the data we've looked at has said that there's um, a lot of utilization of those patient-facing APIs, um, especially with Epic and MyChart and things like that. So we've got two really good things happening right now in healthcare that are driving that interoperability from a, a regula- regulatory standpoint. That's great news. You know, you mentioned mandates. And one of the things that I was thinking about as I was preparing for this interview was HIPAA. You know, wondering if, um, if HIPAA made the process more difficult of sharing because there has to be some patient permission involved. And maybe there's something in the back end that I, that slows things down from a regulatory standpoint. But honestly, from the sounds of it, it seems like mandates are the only thing that's getting this ball rolling. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, I think there's some truth to that. I mean, obviously, we talked about why value-based providers and payers are really starting to care about this. Yeah. Um, I think that if you sort of back into um, HIPAA on this, what's exciting about HIPAA and uh, what's interesting, what they did from a regulatory s- standpoint is they said, from from an information blocking, they said anything that's protected by HIPAA is yours. Hmm. And that's such an interesting way to sort of pivot the framework to say, wait a minute, we're going to take this thing that's encompassing all your clinical data, right? HIPAA is a way to protect your personal, your PHI, your personal health information. Yes. If it's PHI, every entity has to be able, you know, that that holds that has to be able to give it to you and give it to you in a machine readable format. And hmm. so it it has become actually a helpful construct to sort of saying what what is required to be shared and open to you as a patient. Um, you know, I would say overall, though, looking at HIPAA in the last, you know, 20 years of HIPAA, it's probably been more painful than helpful. It's been more of a restrictive framework, I think, hmm. um, and, and a burdensome compliance framework. You know, you know, we go into our appointments, and we're sitting there signing all these forms of our, you know, our life away. Um, and it, it isn't really, you know, it, it's funny because as soon as you give that HIPAA consent, you sign this little form, it's really carte blanche. You know, like a provider can just do whatever, you know, and and mm-hmm. we're not really doing a good job. Well, what do I want to share? I want to be more specific. Mm-hmm. You know, do I want to share all my records, a portion for how long? Um, you know, there's all these sort of detailed questions that you'd want to do around a HIPAA release. Um, and and you 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 know, you don't have that kind of control today. When I think in the future we will. I mean, I look towards a future where how cool it would be to walk into a doctor's office and say, Oh, you would need all my data for this appointment here. I'm going to share it for you for the next few hours mm. or the next day. Mm-hmm. And then it's mine again. Mm. And, and maybe you can I'll allow you to edit it or it, right? There's a different modality yeah. there when you think about when it's patient controlled and patient centric. And I think, I think I'm hoping Credo will be part of that future. It's a very long term view, but 
I'm hoping we will be in the, in the future. Well, I like that you're looking long term that you want to stick it out because I, I don't know that this is going to turn around, um, you know, within the next year or two or five, even hopefully, yeah, hopefully I mean, five. You, you have to have a really long healthcare, any, any entrepreneur and, and, you know, for those listening, cautionary tale, like, it's a very long ho- road to hoe in healthcare. You know, my last startup, which was focused on drug cost transparency, that was almost a decade for me. And the first five years were, we, we really did not succeed. I mean, I would say we had a lot of failures to get to that success, mm-hmm. right? right. Um, you know, as Edison said, you know, it, I had to figure out 4,000 ways not to make a light bulb before <laughs> I made the light bulb. We had the same experience. Uh, in healthcare, we, we we figured out a lot of ways not to not to do uh, digital health uh, and and cost transparency in healthcare until we found the right way to do it. And um, you know, it just takes a long time to build value. And you, I think, you have to think in decade long endeavors um, to see the future where where it is. I mean, I hope Don, we're sitting here and it's twenty thirty, and you said, God, remember when we used to fax? Remember how crazy that was? And <laughs> You, you know, know what? Like it's 2022, and I'm already saying that. I'm not. Sure. You're already saying that, but like, and, and you're sitting there, and all your data's on your phone, and you're like, "Oh, this is so nice. I can just yes. look at my record, and I can share it with whoever I want, and all that stuff." I think that's the future here, and I think that yeah. that's highly likely to happen in this decade. And and I hope Credo is a big part of that change and that transition for, um, you know, patients, um, uh, and providers and payers. Well, I hope so too. So I wanted to dig into how it's done a little bit. I don't want you to give away the store. You probably have some secret <laughs> sauce that I don't want you to share. But how how do you how do you interface with with providers and and payers and you know be the yeah. be the go between well, to make all this happen? Yeah, I'll focus on on the providers, you know, because there's a couple different use cases, but I think the provider example is probably the most relevant one and easy one to understand. So we go into typically ambulatory um, primary care, sometimes some specialists, but mainly primary care doctors and clinics that don't necessarily have, um, or they may have the staff today, but they're directing them uh, when new patients come in or existing patients, they have a workflow today where they're manually getting those patients uh, records, right? Where they're phone and faxing. That's where we usually meet a provider today. And we're very focused on that last mile. So we come in and we essentially tell the provider, you're going to give this function to us because the first thing we want to do for you is take that high value labor you have that we're in a shortage of in this country of Mm -hmm. nurses and NPs and PAs Mm -hmm. and get, let's get them back to doing clinical care. So you're going to just give us that function as, you know, you might send us some data, we might connect into your EHR or um, you, you might send us a weekly or monthly census on who's, who you're going to see. We get all that patient data. And then our team's responsible. We, we have both individuals and um, some digital connectivity uh, into these national networks where we ping the networks. We bring back all the data on that patient. Um, and then in their certain cases, we might say, oh, wait, we've got a provider over here that's still on paper. Um, we're going to have to phone and fax. So we actually have a team internally that manually can mitigate, mitigate, uh, mediate, sorry, not mitigate, uh, mediate access to records and get those over in, in, in a fax form. We pull that all together. And then we do have some people internally that synthesize that data typically, because it's sometimes, you know, this is one of those things where, you know, if you're just getting one record back, it might not be that big of a deal. Now that we're pinging these networks, sometimes we get a lot of data, you know, we have a, a case study on a patient internally where we got 200 and 
71 unique documents back on one patient. Wow. Uh, and those, those are from a few pages to, to, you know, maybe 50 pages. Hmm. Um, so that was, and this was a Medicare member. So this was a 65 year old member, obviously had a lot of clinical history. Well, how do you get that in front of the doctor in a meaningful way? So we're really working on synthesizing and analyzing that data to give that complete record back to the doctor. And then we do some integration work, um, uh, to, to put that data back into their clinical workflows for that upcoming visit. So that's the sort of digital mechanics that we're bringing into these clinics today that are highly, um, you know, fragmented using phone and fax. And we're getting great gains in terms of getting that high value labor back to what they need to do and creating a much more thoughtful clinical workflow for the provider. So when they see that patient, they ha- have a complete clinical summary they they have better visibility into risk adjustment they have better visibility into you know gaps in care and 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 have those gaps been closed um we're trying to really help that and and it's really sad because you know like i said we get these examples where i don't know my patient had cancer right Mm -hmm. and that's what we've really got to fix and so we're really focused on that but that's the best example i can give you of how we're sort of operating today with um providers um, as one, we work with payers as well, but we, we tend to end up in that sort of clinical setting, supporting those providers in their clinical workflow. So it's a lot of relationship building. It's a lot of developing trust with, with those providers and, uh, getting them to, to, to trust that, that they can offload some of their manpower, not manpower, but off, offload some of your, their responsibilities onto you and, um, and that it can benefit them, benefit them. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I just, you know, I think that, um, you know, in a large hospital, like an our large IDN, they have these health information management groups where they have people of, you know, yeah. a whole department focused on managing medical record data and, you know, for the whole hospital, for instance. But when you get out to ambulatory care, it's the Wild West, you know, it's very fragmented. There's a lot of different EHRs. Mm-hmm. This is very hard to do. You know, you've got massive data fragmentation and, and, but that's where all the care is happening, right? Hmm. That's where all the, you know, we're shifting where a lot, it all starts with PCPs and, um, the, the interaction with patients there. And I think this is a critical function that has to be solved, uh, in the future here and, and, and like now, hmm. uh, to, to really enable providers to better care for patients. To, to get into value and do value really, really well. Because what, what's happening too is you have a lot of providers, for instance, we see this that have been in traditional Medicare fee-for-service and trying to shift, you know, they're seeing competitors come in who are doing value-based and Medicare Advantage and they want to be part of that and they got to build a risk model. It's a very different environment, right? We have providers who are very sophisticated in this where, you know, it's kind of fun. They have people who, you know, they have a whole different model of care, right? They have people that go pick up a patient's. They have... You know, they have their phone numbers stored on their phones. They have food programs. They have, you know, really different model of care to do that in value. But, you know, what's critical to their operation is having that clinical history and clinical documentation to appropriately care for those patients. So, you know, I think in in outpatient care, this is one of the biggest areas that needs a lot of help in the next decade to do this well. You mentioned that you're helping organizations that still use FACS. Is there anything that you're doing or anything that is maybe happening generally that might incentivize people to stop using facts? <laughs> well, I mean, they, the, you know, I think the big incentive is just like the labor costs. You know, our studies show that, you know, in total, 
um, if you kind of just look at administrative cost within outpatient care, let's just look at it that way. And faxing is part of this. It could be faxing for the medical record, but also could be for like prior authorizations and things like a lot of that stuff's happening. For every doctor, there is now 20 hours of associated administrative cost per week in just like managing, you know, prior authorizations and clinical documentation. And, you know, it's a it's a part-time job. And I think there's a big incentive. I think one of the biggest things, especially coming out of the pandemic, is this this workforce that is is a lot of people have left because of burnout and the critical need to use these people you know we sort of say at the top of their license right and so sitting around and phone and faxing for medical records you know that's a big incentive and the waste of time to get them to onto other stuff if they're spending hours a day and that's what we typically see one to three hours a day just doing like paperwork in terms of getting records together and so i really hope you know, we take that out of, um, uh, you know, the, the clinical model, right? And we just take that over for our our um, providers we work with. But I'd also say, like, we've had some really interesting discussions that they are, you know, the clinical leaders in these ambulatory um, uh, clinic groups uh, or, you know, IPA groups that we work with, they've actually think this is a retention model. This is part of their retention mm -hmm. because, you know, those people who those, you know, NPs or nurses or PAs, right, they actually get to go do their job now, right, right, opposed to doing this, you know, monotonous work of getting the record together, which isn't, you know, what they were trained to do. Mm -hmm. So there is sort of a retention reason here, too, which I think think is is an important thing to know. My, my son is studying to be a PA right now. And I can just imagine his, <laughs> his, uh, the look on his face when he becomes a guy who mans the fax machine. I don't think yeah, he's going to want that. You know, you just think about that. If I was like, hey, Don, can you just take a few minutes from the podcast and fax me something? I mean, you know, I, I you know what I find, we, we, we have this discussion on some marketing things we want to do. I actually want to go to a conference with all these healthcare, you know, these digital health people and all these health executives and these CEOs. And I want to bring a card out with a fax machine on it. And I want to wheel it around the, the convention center. And with a sign that says, we do this 9 billion times a year. And I and challenge people so they give them a time. We say you have one minute and see if they can fax something. If they even know how, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know how. I mean, I don't remember. I remember, you know, a few times when I was very young, you know, in, in high school, maybe in college a little bit, mm -hmm. of using a fax machine a few times. You know, it was I can't remember it was it was, you know, I couldn't even tell you the reason why. Um, but that was how long ago the rest of us have used a fax machine and it is alive and well. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think in healthcare and probably the IRS are the, the two last bastions yes. of these, you know, faxes. But, you know, I, I think just sort of, I get really upset sometimes when I go to these conferences and everyone wants to talk about AI and ML and, you know, machine learning and mm -hmm. all these fancy terms. And I'm like, hey, guys, can we just fix the facts? Can we just all agree that this is really bad and let's all be committed? Because all that stuff can come. But how about we have an in infrastructure that's digital first? Let's let's install that, and then we can deploy all this fun stuff that we talk about. Um, and so, so that's kind of my my viewpoint. But I thought that would be a wouldn't that be a fun kind of like oh, endeavor to this, just to see all these healthcare executives <laughs> just sit there and go, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, you know, bring a video camera. Uh, yeah, but oh yeah, absolutely. We would do we would do it like you know a Jimmy Fallon kind of you know he's on the street interviewing <laughs> people and asking questions. I want to do it kind of like that kind of skit. 
And I think we're going to do it because I've, I've talked to a few people. And I think it'd be kind of fun. That's awesome. Karma, I love that you're thinking like a marketer. Good job. Yeah, I, I try to be at the end of the day. <laughs> uh, so as, as we were preparing for this interview, you shared a story with me uh, about an experience that you had with your mother related to, to medical records. Would you mind sharing that? Yeah, sure. You know, and it, this has been, um, I'm going to do a post about this pretty soon. So I'm, I'm excited to share this with you, but you know, I, I, uh, I was in my, you know, I was in high school, I was about 15 and, um, my mom was going through her second bout of cancer and, uh, you know, this is back in the nineties and she, um, really worked hard on managing on a typewriter, honestly, um, and a fax machine, a, a copy machine, hmm. um, you know, typing up on, we had a PS2 at that time, if you remember mm -hmm. an IBM PS2, yeah. you know, typing up her records and her clinical summaries. And so she'd print out this stuff and she'd actually put a, on the front page, she put a picture of our family, right? Um, and, and sadly, I'd already lost my father to cancer. Oh, and nice. um, so I was 15 and this experience of her, you know, doing this, you know, just has always stuck with me of her carrying around this paper and putting around these clinical summaries because it had gotten pretty complex. She had been fighting cancer for a, a while. Mm. And I kind of started thinking about Credo, you know, last year and and was reflecting on my my interest in doing this. And I realized nothing has really changed. And it's 23-ish, you know, something like that years later. Uh, and nothing has changed. And a lot of patients and um, those caregivers are still going through this experience of in this moment when life is on the line, you know, figuring this out. And it just, it just does not compute for how much technology has dramatically changed our lives and how incredible technology is. We, st when it's the most important moment to probably have technology making this super simple to, to share our records and everything, nothing has changed. And so hmm. that really led me and is a big driver for me of like, I never want anybody else to go through an experience like my mom went through. Um, that was so long ago, you know, we sit here and go, Oh my God, it's a long time ago. Hmm. Um, so that, that for me is, is sort of a foundational driver as part of my mission here, uh, to, to change this industry and, and digitalize this whole process. How do you think your mom's experience would have been different? had this solution been around 25 years ago? Such a great question. Um, well, I think it just, it would change everything. I mean, could, if they had all the data and information, would they have made different decisions about her care mm. and would she still be here? Mm. I mean, that's the real question. And I think there's some truth to that. I think we could obviously say that patients today are probably getting suboptimal decisions about their care and living their healthiest lives because they don't have the right date. They're not getting the right data in front, in front of the providers that they're seeing to make the best, most optimal decision for, for what's um, going to make them better and make them healthier. And so I think for my mom, I think, you know, she could have been more, I think it could have improved her care. And I think she would have been more focused on the other things. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, spending time with us as kids yeah. opposed to sitting there on her, her, you know, you know, late at night taping away, um, trying to get her record together, um, which I know is still happening today for so many patients and caregivers. Fighting for her life on a typewriter. My goodness. Wow. Well, uh, that kind of leads me to this last set of questions. 
if, if you were to change one thing about healthcare, what would it be? Well, full digital longitudinal records for every patient hmm. that are completely portable and easy to share. And let's, let's do that. And we're let's close to that. Every day. Is that what yeah. you're telling me? Okay, good. That's that. Yeah, we're real close. <laughs> but let's go do that. Let's, uh, that's, you know, I, that's a mission worth, 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 uh, worth being on. And that's something uh, that I would love to see change in healthcare. Well, I think that is a good place to wrap it up with a, a personal mission uh, that is bound to help all of us. And best of luck in, in doing that. How can our listeners get in touch with you if they want to learn more? or uh, find out more about Credo Health? Yeah. Well, we're at credohealth.com. Um, I'm at carm at credohealth.com. If you want to email me, I'm also Carm Huntress on Twitter. Uh, and I'm very findable on on LinkedIn. Just look up Carm Huntress. It's it's uh, uh, easy to find me on there as well. So, so, Don, thank you so much for having me. This has been a pleasure and enjoy the conversation. Yeah, the pleasure has been mine, Carm. Thank you. Keep up the great work. 